From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, riboflavin UVA crosslinking for keratoactasia, part two. For me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I realize that this is quite a radical statement, especially being placed uh, in the medical environment of the U.S., where this procedure is, is just starting to become uh, evaluated as, a, as an investigative protocol. First this, in order to provide medical education free of commercial bias, as seen from here requires a financial interest disclosure before any podcast program. Dr. Kenalopoulos declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. The Open Ophthalmology Project at openophthalmology.com is an enormous success with over 5,000 users in 57 countries. I have an announcement and a request about this open courseware ophthalmology project. First, I am happy to announce a dramatic improvement in functionality. Beginning this month, new versions of the 20 lecture optics series will be podcast. When you launch any of these new podcasts in iTunes, you'll see the word chapters appear on the menu bar. Each of the lectures has been divided by subtopic, and you can navigate directly to the subtopic of your choice by clicking on the chapters menu item. If you are viewing the lectures on a computer, an iPhone, or an iPod Touch, you'll also see an improvement in video resolution, just in time for the OCAPs or the boards. I have a request. I want to solicit lectures for the Open Ophthalmology Project. Perhaps you have a lecture you would like to distribute to our large viewer base. Just email me at jyoungmd at gmail.com. I'll be happy to have you on board, and so will ophthalmology residents from Dublin to Dubai. Come check it out at openophthalmology.com. Today we'll hear the conclusion of my conversation with John Kenalopoulos about riboflavin UVA collagen crosslinking for the treatment of post-LASIK keratoactasia. We'll pick up where we left off last week. John, I just want to go back to a point that you made earlier and a point that you made in the paper, which is that preoperatively the optical and ultrasound pachymetry were similar, but that postoperatively they diverged, and they did so because of a transient optical change in the cornea. Right. That's... Uh... I think uh, that that's uh, that's uh, something that uh, becomes a quite uh, quick uh, thing to to acknowledge clinically, um, and uh, the the Pentacam uh, and OrbScan maps that we have used initially show a drastic uh, uh, decrease in cornea thickness, which, if you uh, double check with ultrasound pachymetry, does not really hold true. Uh, actually, what we've seen a year or two years down the line is that. Um, uh, luckily, a lot of these eyes uh, get thicker measurements, both in the uh, optical tomography uh, mappings and the ultrasound ma- mappings. It's it's not a it, it's not a unusual to crosslink, let's say, a ectasia case with uh, uh, least pachymetry uh, being 450 microns, and have that patient a year later having least pachymetry at the 470, 480 micron margin. Um, so uh, I would say clinically we've established that uh, at least the cornea, we halt cornea thinning uh, with a follow-up of maximum about five years. And um, uh, we halt also 
uh, a change in the uh, cornea parameters as far as uh, steepening is concerned. John, can I get you to describe a couple sample cases for me? Well, yeah, I'll be glad to do that. Um, a typical case would be um, a case that comes in, and unfortunately, the early cases where cases are quite advanced. So let's say seeing a LASIK patient who was uh, who, after a careful review of the pre-op uh, um, evaluation, did have some foam frust uh, clinical signs, meaning inferior steepening. Uh, marginally thin cornea, so let's say cornea that's at 510, 515 microns, had LASIK for, let's say, two, three and a half diopters of myopia, initially saw very well, had cornea pachymetry in the 460, 450 uh, uh, ballpark, and uh, all of a sudden, a year later, started to develop myopic astigmatism. So we, we saw several patients uh, three, four years later uh, with uh, refraction of minus three, minus three, irregular astigmatism, inferior steepening, uh, cornea thickness dropping about uh, 10 to 20 microns per year, and um, being intolerant to contact lenses. So in a case like that, um, uh, we have shown effectively in our clinical practice, as other studies have shown as well, uh, intervening with uh, cornea cross-linking, you can halt the uh, ectasia. Uh, in most cases, there have been uh, recent reports that uh, some of the stabilization may be reversed by pregnancy, and I want to underline that um, because uh, there are investigators that believe that the majority of uh, um, ectasia cases are women. Uh, so there may be a hormonal um, influence in the, the ectasia uh, process. Uh, but um, we have been able to, to have these eyes uh, stabilized with a... Uh, with a slight decrease in the uh, both myopic and uh, astigmatic uh, uh, equivalent. So let's say at minus three and a half, minus three and a half patient, uh, best correcting with uh, spectacles to 2040 after cross-linking may become a minus uh, two and a half, minus two and a half, uh, best correcting to 2020 with spectacles. And, and that's where the, the impressive uh, um, changes, not only in the, uh, halting the ectasia, and sometimes reversing some of the uh, refractive error, but more importantly in being able to uh, improve uh, best spectacle uh, corrective visual acuity in a lot of these eyes. John, how do we know that riboflavin UVA cross-linking works the way we think it does? Well, we don't. I mean, that's a very good question. Um, it has been shown in animal studies that um, it does uh, create uh, uh, multiple bonds between collagen fibers, uh, there has been speculation that the same holds true in, in clinical practice, uh, but there's a, there's a lot of dialogue on what actually the uh, the effect on the cornea is. I mean, uh, there's investigators that believe that there's a thermal effect on the cornea from this procedure. Um, uh, I think that uh, this is an area that needs obviously further study uh, in vivo. Uh, there have been several studies from Italy that show uh, with confocal microscopy, the changes in uh, cornea keratocytes and uh, cornea collagen that suggests that uh, the actual uh, uh, biomechanical effect is uh, uh, increasing the cross-collagen uh, fiber linking. Uh, but I think that the, we have not seen, seen a uh, uh, absolutely confirming histopathologic uh, study of this yet. 
John, does the UVA exposure cause damage to the eye? Well, that's another uh, significant concern. And obviously, uh, this is where I didn't mention previously riboflavin is a two-sided coin. Uh, riboflavin is the conduit for, for the whole process, but at the same time, riboflavin being such a, a strong absorbent of uh, UVA light uh, and the uh, traditional uh, technique of cross-thinking is used also as a shield uh, for the rest of the eye of the UV light that we expose the eye. And I'll explain that. Uh, by soaking the the, the uh, cornea uh, stroma with riboflavin and allowing some of it to spill over into the anterior chamber, we basically um, increase the uh, uh, barriers to UV light reaching those uh, tissues. Uh, it has been shown by uh, the basic science done on these uh, on this application. Most of it done in uh, Dresden uh, by Wallensack, uh, Seiler, and uh, Spall that uh, the actual photochemical process involves the anterior one-third of the cornea. So the cross-link effect is something that we, um, we basically uh, uh, subject the uh, anterior 200 microns of stroma that we perform this standardized procedure. Uh, by having riboflavin present deeper in the cornea, so at 300 microns, at 400 microns, or even at the cornea endothelial, level or even at the aqueous uh, level, in, level in the anterior chamber, we're basically establishing a, a safety barrier to um, redundant UV light if it ever, or for whatever reason, passes through the anterior stroma and reaches that level to be neutralized by riboflavin. John, do these patients wind up with a tan? No, no, no. Well, the, the, that's the whole. That's the whole. I think uh, it's it's a whole, it's a point well taken. That's the whole uh, idea. I mean, you're you really using riboflavin as a sunblock, so to speak, to to protect the rest of the eye uh, from uh, from the UV light. But I I personally, uh, with uh, my experience so far, I'd like to differ from that uh, traditional thinking. I'm now one of the investigators that think that uh, too much protection in this area may not be such a good thing because if you think about it, uh, uh, loading up the eye with riboflavin and using it as a protectant at the aqueous level, so to speak, has, a, has its uh, a flip side. If, God forbid, uh, UV light found its way in the aqueous, it would be absorbed by riboflavin, so it wouldn't reach the crystalline lens, but you would get free radical formation, uh, taking that there would be oxygen there as well, uh, with the presence of riboflavin. So I'm now in the group of investigators that believes that uh, too much riboflavin may, may not be too much of a, of a good thing. And, uh, and considering that uh, people in Athens uh, during the months of summer get exposed to that amount of fluence just by walking around and being exposed to what uh, sunlight, sunlight delivers in their eyes uh, naturally, um, uh, nature appears to have defenses for this type of exposure. Uh, so I believe that uh, riboflavin is probably a molecule that we should use very uh, uh, carefully as far as its um, uh, ability to, to propagate the reaction that we want but also as far as a protectant, because it may also become a uh, hazard uh, within the eye. John, on that same theme, what do you do in your own practice? Do you treat all post-LASIK keratoactasia patients, even if they are contact lens tolerant? 
of course. I uh, today be, uh, working here in an environment that uh, since uh, 2006, uh, cross-linking has been uh, clinically approved, and personally having over five years' experience with this uh, technique, any ectasia case that comes across uh, my clinical practice, at least in my opinion, deserves and uh, uh, the information of the potential advantages of cross-linking. Um, and uh, uh, granted, uh, if you see a 20-year-old uh, keratoconus patient or a, uh, or a LASIK patient that has just regressed one diopter uh, three years after the LASIK procedure, uh, may decide to kind of wait and see how things go. But I have no doubt in my mind that uh, cross-linking, especially a teenager, an early uh, uh, tw uh, 20s keratoconus patient, uh, will tremendously benefit that patient. I, I have no doubt uh, that uh, uh, if I see a 19-year-old keratoconus patient with uh, two diopters of astigmatism and even uh, uh, two diopters of spherical equivalent uh, uh, of refraction uh, rapidly progressing, I know that that patient will probably need a transplant 10 years later uh, or within 10 years. And I know that... Uh, we now have a follow-up of over four years with a lot of these patients enjoying 2020 vision and uh, their own corneas. Uh, for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. I realize that this is quite a radical statement, especially uh, being placed uh, in the medical environment of the U.S. where this procedure is, is just starting to become uh, evaluated as, a, as an investigative protocol. It may sound quite uh, radical, but uh, in our practice here, it's, uh, it's established that every patient with any sign of ectasia will get information on cross-linking. John, is there anything you'd like to add? In my clinical practice, and I've practiced many years in the U.S., and, and now I've been practicing full-time in Europe for over 70 years, uh, I think of cross-linking in any cornea that I treat over six diopters of myopia. I think of cross-linking any time I get a, an unusual regression of my actual goal um, uh, in a LASIK procedure. Uh, I think of cross-linking in uh, any time I see uh, abnormal keratometries or abnormal posterior uh, cornea curvature findings. And we do use this as a, uh, um, a discussion issue with uh, some of these patients preoperatively even before their primary LASIK procedure. Uh, if we talk to a minus 10 myop with uh, 540 micron cornea that will bring down to maybe 420 or 410 microns, uh, I would include in my discussion the possibility that that eye may, um, if uh, for some re reason it develops some change in its uh, biomechanical stability, cross-thinking may uh, become a, um, a, a, an, an element. And we, we have in our practice, uh, we've presented cases where we've treated uh, uh, high myops uh, routinely and have coupled the refractive uh, treatment with cross-linking, primarily, without treating ectasia. So for us, cross-linking is a very vital instrument uh, in establishing uh, long-term biomechanical stability in the cornea. Uh, so I think, I think uh, we're working on several protocols where we have doubled and quadrupled the fluence of the UV light uh, staying with the same concentration of riboflavin and cutting down a lot the treatment time. And uh, we're presenting a lot of this data, which are quite uh, 
quite rewarding as far as um, getting the same effect in less time and possibly causing less uh, tissue damage uh, because we know that a lot of the vital uh, cells of, uh, of our body are more uh, are more resistant to high fluences than um, uh, long exposure times uh, with the UV light. So uh, one can tolerate bright light for five minutes more than he can tolerate uh, half of that fluence of uh, sunlight uh, for two hours. Uh, so uh, I think uh, it's a very, uh, for a cornea surgeon uh, that's quite an active refractive surgeon as well, is a very, very exciting field. John Kenalopoulos, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Josh. John Kenalopoulos is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the New York University School of Medicine in New York, New York. He's also Director of LaserVision.gr Institute in Athens, Greece. His paper, Corneal Collagen Crosslinking with Riboflavin and Ultraviolet A to Treat Induced Keratoactasia After LASIK in Situ Keratomyliosis, appears in the December 2007 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Ask questions of Dr. Kenalopoulos or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype. J. Young, M.D. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.